Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So this is week four uh, in, our, in our City on a Hill series, and the, this sermon is called, I Will Be With You. I Will Be With You. Now, my first email address was footballfanatic at hotmail.com. My sister's right there. She remembers it. It was so flop. Anyway. Now, that email tells you what was going on in my life at the time. I was defined by football. That is what I did. I found my identity in that. I've got three tattoos. There's one right here on my arm. Do you know what this is? It just says eight. That was my football number. I walked in to the tattoo parlor because my mom was like, you can't get anything until you're 18. And so as soon as I turned 18, I just, I went. And the guy's like, what do you want? I'm like, I just want the number eight. And he said, what? And I said, I'm paying you. Do what I said. It just says eight. And that's all of me. All of my life was defined by football. I found my identity in that. And that's the thing about us as people. We find our identity in the things in our life. For some people, it's what we do. Our job defines us. Or even sometimes our lack of a job. That is what is defining us, what we have defines us, our possessions, the things in my life, the money I have, the, the house I own or the house I don't own, that is the thing that is defining me, how we look, the clothes I wear, my style is what defines me, how I behave, I do the right things, I'm, or I do crazy things, that's the thing that defines me, our identity is in that, where we belong, the friend group that I have. The people that I roll with, the people that I hang with, that is what defines me. Now, here's the thing about those things. Those are the worst places to go for your identity. Because those things are always changing. That's the worst place for us to rest our identity. Our job can go. Our possessions can be taken away. Our style can become out of style. You know, you wake up one day and you realize nobody's rocking that anymore. Now, if you wait long enough, it just comes back around, right? Like Jordan's. Our behavior can become inconsistent, and sometimes it is inconsistent. Our friendships can come to an end. These things are, they're always changing. And the thing is, when somebody has their identity wrapped up into it, when it's all taken away, they're devastated. When, like, when both of my knees went, like my body started to fall apart, and I realized that God was slowly taking football out of my life, that that was not the thing that I was going to be doing, I was devastated. Months and months of depression. I was in university and they sent me home. I was so depressed when it all got taken away. They're like, you don't have to write any of your exams. I was like, I should do this depressed thing every year. But I was completely devastated. That is not where we are to find our identity. Our identity should come from who God is. This is our main idea today. Our identity should come from who God is and who he says we are. 
That is where our identity is to be rooted, who God is and who he says we are. We will never fully know who we are until we know who God is. You will never fully understand yourself until you understand who God is. We will never be salt and light until we are firmly rooted in who God is and who he says we are. In this chapter, Exodus 3, Moses, he comes face to face with God. And what you see is that Moses, he's going to walk away with a clear understanding of who he is and who God is. And in Moses' story, we learn a lot about God and we learn a lot about ourselves. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Here's our first point today. God calls us by name. He calls us by name. Moses is doing what he's supposed to do. He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He's taking care of them. And then he notices that this bush is burning, but the bush is not burning up. It's not being consumed. And then he goes and he takes a look, and that's where God calls him. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now notice God doesn't say, hey, guy, come here. He's not like, hey, you. He says, Moses, Moses. He uses his name, and that's because God knows everything about Moses. He knows all the details of his life. All of Moses' life is written in the book of God, he knows everything about him. He knows that Moses is a murderer. When you read Exodus 2, that's what happened. Moses is he's fled because of the murder that he committed, but notice that God calls him anyway. He calls him by name. He knows all the details of his life. The same way God called Moses is the same way that he calls us by name. Name. He called Moses because he had a plan and purpose for him. He calls us by name because he has a plan and purpose for us. He wants to use us. We're saved for that. The day we trusted in Christ, we were being called out of darkness into light. We've been talking about that. He calls us by name, and you know what else? He changes our name. Do you know that? God calls you by name, but then he changes your name. He changes our name from sinner to saint, from rebel to disciple. Do you know that there's no letters in the New Testament addressed to the sinners? I checked this morning. There's not a single letter that is written to sinners. It's all written to the church or to the saints. When Paul in the, in, is taking up a collection for the church, he's He's gathering money from one church to take to another struggling church. Do you know what he says? I am gathering this for the contribution of the saints. That's why when somebody says to me, you're a sinner, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a saint who sins. That's an important thing. A believer is a saint called to be a saint. When we sin now, we're acting out of character. That's what's going on. We're, we're being the opposite of who we are. Our identity now are saints 
disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the way we are. I'm trying in this series always to get us deeper in our identity in Christ, deeper in our understanding of what God has called us to be so we can see all the different ways the coin turns on this thing for us. We are saints. And when we sin, we're doing it out of character and we can repent and turn to God for help. He calls us by name. He gives us a new name. And then he warns us because he knows some things about us. Verse 5. So then, then, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He calls us by name and God knows our sin so he warns us. He knows our sin, and so he warns us. Moses is starting to come close. He sees the bush. He's like, I'm going to go take a look. God's like, no, no, no. He says, stop. Don't come any closer. And that's because God can't be near sin without punishing it. And so God is actually showing Moses mercy here. When he stops him, it's an act of mercy. He's saying, if you come any closer, you will be consumed. And so he says, no, stop. Verse 6 says that Moses hid his face from God. One of the saddest parts of the book of Genesis is when Adam and Eve sinned. You know what it says? It says that God comes, and it says that they hid from God. That they were hiding from God because of their sin. Now, as Christians, we never have to hide from God. We never have to hide our face from God, all because of Jesus Christ, Hebrews Hebrews 10 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here it is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Because of Jesus Christ, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter the kind of day you're having, the kind of week you're having, you never have to hide from God. As a father, even in all of our mistakes and our mess, he welcomes us in. We don't have to hide from him. We can draw near to God. And the way we do it is drawing near through the word and prayer every day. That is how we draw near to God. We are designed for intimacy with God, not sometimes, all the time. Jesus gets all that back for us. It's through this drawing near. It's through the drawing near every day to God that we get a firm understanding and a deeper root in our identity. As we draw near to God each day, we're reminded of who we are in Christ and who God is. God loves us, so he warns us. God also knows our suffering, so he comes to us. He knows our suffering, so he comes to us. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, I'm just going to say these with confidence, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the Lord of the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression which, which the Egyptians oppressed them. 
Notice what God says. He says, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering. God is not detached from his people. He's not unaware of what is going on with them. He's aware of it, but notice he also does something about it. You're like, where? Verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He is not passive. He does something about it. Now, this verse actually speaks directly to a philosophical idea called deism. Deism. It's this idea that God created everything. So the, the philosophers, they believe God exists, that he created everything, though, and he just wound it up and then stepped back. It's like a clockmaker. And now he just, it's just running, and he has no care. He does not care what is happening. He's uninvolved, but that is not true. That, this speaks directly to that, that God is involved with his creation. See, when people see the brokenness and sin in the world, they'll, they'll say things like, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Some people go so far as to completely reject God and drift into atheism because of what they see. They think God is detached. But this story reminds us that God is not detached, that he does intervene in the life of his people in his wise and perfect timing. That's the thing. God is a God of wisdom. He knows exactly what he's doing all the time. He's never surprised at anything going on. Nothing is ever out of his control. And he intervenes in the life of his people in his perfect timing. He says, I'm going to send Moses to rescue my people, to take them to a better place. God is not detached from the life of his people. And you've got, we've got to sort of take this in. God is not detached from our lives either. He comes to us to comfort us in different ways when the trouble comes, when the suffering comes. Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's so, I love Jesus. He tells you hard stuff, then he tells you some real comfy stuff right after. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He is with us and will carry us through. That's why Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are... Let me just back up right here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are... That's right. We talk, people. With me. God is with us all the time. The people of Israel are being oppressed. They're being treated in inhumane ways. And you know what this, this does? It reminds us of the way human beings can be ruthless to one another. This story, when you look at the way, God says that they have taskmasters. It speaks to the reality that human beings can be brutal to one another. And it hasn't changed much today. We see it in things like human trafficking. We see it in things like child slavery. We see it in things like racial discrimination. We see it in things like injustice towards the unborn. We see it in things like exploitation of the poor. We see it in, in injustice towards Christians around the world. It has not changed all that much. Human beings can be ruthless to 
one another. And God sends Moses because he wants to correct injustice. And here's how it comes home to us. God, just like he sends Moses, has sent us. The church. See, God doesn't want us in the world just in a holy huddle hoping for Jesus to come back. He wants us actively involved, correcting injustice in the world. Isaiah says, learn to do good. Seek justice and correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now, this is said at first to the people of Israel. But now as God's people, this applies to us. That we are to be involved, part of being a city on a hill, part of being salt and light is a willingness to work for justice and mercy to those who are oppressed, the weak in the world. That, that, should, that should move our hearts. Micah 6 verse 8 says, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. A church that commits to being visible will be actively involved in helping the weak, the oppressed in our society, fighting for justice, exposing the work of darkness. All of this is to flow from who God is and who we are. What God called Moses to do was not going to be easy. But he didn't leave him alone to do it. Look at verse 10. It says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people to the children, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Listen to Moses now. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out? Verse 12, he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God knows our fear, so he goes with us. God calls us to do things that are hard, but he goes with us. He says, I will be with you. Moses is being sent to do something hard, and in his response, we see his fear and insecurity. He says, who am I? Have you ever felt like that? Something sort of rolls on your doorstep and you're like, I can't do this. You feel your weakness. You feel your humanity. You feel how small you are. You feel that the size of this thing that God wants you to do that's in front of you is just too hard. And so Moses is actually making a protest here. He's like, who am I? I don't want to do this. I've been like that before. I was like that this week. I was like, why am I preaching Exodus 3? And then God's like, because you're afraid to lead the church. It's like, oh, yeah. So I should probably pray then. I'm terrified of it. Like, it just feels like it's too much. Who can do it? But here's the thing. I'm just caught up in myself. Because Moses, in his statement, he just, old boy is just caught up in himself. Who am I? He thinks he's a nobody. He knows, Moses knows, he doesn't have the best reputation in Egypt. He murdered a guy and ran off. That's what they remember about him. In Egypt, he was a prince. Now he's just a lowly shepherd. Moses felt inadequate for the job, and he was. I feel inadequate for this job, and I am. 
But it's not about me and it's not about Moses. It's about who's with Moses. Verse 12, God looks at him and says, stop your whining. He said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. Notice that God doesn't say, Moses or Marv, you just have to believe in yourself. There's a power inside of you, and when you get into that sweet spot, and you just, you know, you find that relaxing thing, maybe it's in like a hot tub or something like that, and you're like, it just comes clear that you can do this. You just have to tap into it. You just got to tap, tap, tap. He doesn't say any of that. He says, you are walkless, as a Jamaican would say. (laughs) You are weak. He says all of that, but he says, I will be with you. That is what is going to make the difference. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. And if you get your head straight, you'll be fine. It's all about me. God says, I have all the power. And your job, our job as his church is simply to be dependent on him, to rest in who he is and to rest in who he says we are. What God is doing here is he's promising Moses his presence and his guidance in the middle of his insecurity. He says, I will be with you. He promises the same thing to us. We want to be a church that is engaged in our community, that is engaged in each other's lives. And that's why we have these commitments out there, and I'm trying to like touch on them, but this is one. This is a very important one, developing intentional relationships in our church and in our community. We don't want to just sort of go in and out and just make this a Sunday thing. We want to be in each other's lives. We want to know one another. We want to know the community. We want to make a difference. But choosing to be committed to something like that means God is going to call us to do things that is going to scare us. It means he's going to call us to do things that are going to make us feel weak. But we are to never forget in the middle of the calling who is with us. He says, I will be with you to carry you through Joshua 1.9 says, the, the Lord is with you wherever you go. There's never a moment that we are without him in the hard things, the good things he calls us to do. And our confidence in God only goes up the more we know about him. Look at verse 13. says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I say to them? So Moses is like, all right, I'll do the thing. I'll go. But if I, if I go to them and they ask me a question about you, they ask me your name, what should I tell them when they ask? And God graciously gives him an answer. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generation. Here's point number two. God declares his name. God declares his name. He says, I am. That's what you are to tell them. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. Notice there in verse 
15 and in verse 7, the name LORD is in all caps. And it's in all caps because this is the way the English translation translates the name Yahweh, which is, it's connected to this idea of to be, which the Bible is just saying God just is. Like, so sometimes Zion will say to me, like, how has God just always been there? And I'm just like, I don't know, he just is there. He just always has been there. Now, when somebody tells you their name, that doesn't actually tell you much about them. Right? If you meet Mike over here, he's like, hi, my name is Mike. That tells you nothing about him. But in the Bible, when, somebody, when someone's name is revealed, it's actually telling you a lot about the person. And that's what's going on here. When God says, my name is I am, he's actually saying a lot about himself. Four specific things that I just want to hit quick. The first one, his name tells us he is creator. His name tells us he is creator. Again, God just is. He was always there, and he made everything out of nothing. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything exists because of God. This church exists because of God. It's all him. He created it for us to love and serve and support one another for his glory and our good, to help us grow deeper in our identity in Christ and our understanding of who God is. Name tells us he's creator. His name tells us he is sovereign. He is sovereign. God is fully in charge of the world. He is ruling and reigning actively, actively guiding his creation by his good providence. Isaiah 46 says, I am God and there's no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. You can't stop God. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. If God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And there's encouragement in this, because one of the things that Jesus promised is that he will build his church. It says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in our culture right now, doesn't it feel like the church is losing? Doesn't it feel like we're just kind of getting pushed to the side? You feel like I can't even open my mouth at work or in public? Don't we feel that way? You feel sort of fearful when you walk into different spaces? The reality, though, is we are winning. Jesus says, I will build my church. Nothing can stop what Jesus is doing. And so in those moments when we feel fearful, when we feel like we're losing, when the news report comes out again about something weird, we are to just rest in the fact that God is working even though we cannot always see it. I said this one time in a sermon before, I'm going to resurrect it again because it's so true. You cannot stop kingdom growth because you cannot stop the king. God is working. Amen. He is building his Church and the church that powerfully embraces their identity in Christ, the church that is rooted firmly in who God is, He will use that church in a powerful 
and mighty way. Here's another one. His name tells us he is eternal. His name tells us he's eternal. Look at verse 15. Again, it says, God also says to, said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is his name forever. God has been there from the start. This has always been his name. I am. And this will always be his name because God doesn't change. He's an unchanging God. Again, this is where we're different from God. We're changing all the time. I'm getting more bald as I preach this sermon. <laughs> it's true. Started at 25 and it's just been working its way through. It's, it's hard. But it, I'm resting in humility, I guess. But we're changing all the time. The kids in Hope Kids, they're changing. They're growing teeth. They're getting bigger, but not God. He is always the same. Unchanging. Now, here's why this is so important for us. And Matthew Berry Barrett, sorry, explains this. This is such an important thing. He says, God is good, yet how can we be sure God will remain good? That is a good question. How can we be sure? What if he were to change and with such a change no longer act in a good way? That would be terrifying. The one who rules and reigns and is, is running the universe, if he was changing and changing in a worse way, we would be in all kinds of trouble. The answer comes in what James, this is in the book of James, he says, with, with the father of lights, there's no variation or shadow due to change. God has no shadow, nor is he like a shadow, subject to change. He always remains the same. Here's what's important. On this basis, you can trust God to remain good, and you can trust that this God always has your good in mind and will always act in a way that reflects his perfect goodness. An unchanging God should be a source of encouragement to this church. That, here's a reason why we are to be secure in our identity in Christ, because God loves us. In Jeremiah, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Again, said first to the people of Israel, but now applies to us as well. An everlasting love, an unchanging love. We've experienced his love in salvation, and we will experience his love in eternity. Do you know heaven is a place of love? Unending love where all tears and pain, all that is wiped away, just in God's love. He's creator, he's sovereign, he's eternal, and his name tells us he is self-sufficient. His name tells us he is self-sufficient. You're like, where are you getting that? The burning bush. That's what gets Moses, that's what gets his attention. The picture of the burning bush is actually showing us that God needs nothing, that he needs no one. It's a, it's a bush that is burning, but it's not burning up. Fire needs fuel. God needs nothing to sustain him or nothing from anyone. And Isaiah he says, what, what man shows him his counsel? God doesn't need advice from people. Job 41 verse 11 says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? No one's ever given God anything. He needs nothing from no one. Whatever is under the, the whole heaven is mine. It all belongs to him. 
He sustains all things. Again, this is where we're different from God. We need things to sustain us. We need the food. We need sleep. We need water. We need oxygen. We need all of those things. And you know what? God gives all of it to us. He's, a, he's self-sufficient, but he's not selfish. God is a giving God. He's constantly just giving things away. And think about this. He's giving things away to people who don't even believe in him, people who hate him. Self-sufficient, but not selfish. Giving, willing to give to others. God is that way, and we are to be that way. We are dependent on him, but we are to be a giving people, generous That's why as individuals and as a church, we are to be known for humility and not pride. Because we need everything from God. There's to be a a spirit of dependence on us because we understand we are not self-sufficient. Only God is and he gives us all that we need. See, not only do we need God to transform and completely change our identity, we need him to give us grace to actually live in it. He has to transform us, and then we are, we are dependent on him to walk in the things that he has said. This is the God we're called to serve, the God who completely changes our identity, a God who gives us the opportunity to be salt and light, to be a city on a hill. See, God comes down to help the people of Israel, and God came down in the person of Jesus Christ to help us. And Jesus, when he was on earth in John 8, 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was declaring his name. He was saying, I am God in flesh. I am creator. I am sovereign. I am eternal. I am self-sufficient. This was his identity. He declared it to us. But you know what he also did? He took on our identity. In 2 Corinthians, when I, I've, I've preached this, uh, a previous message, it says, he, he became sin for us. That's what it's talking about. He took on our identity. He died in our place to give us a new identity. Saints, disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are called to live dependent on him, who no longer find their identity in what they have, who no longer find their identity in what they do, who no longer find their identity in how they look, who no longer find their identity in where they belong. Those things do not define the Christian anymore. We are defined by who God is and who he says we are. Being rooted in this reality is what gives us the power to do the things we're talking about here, to be a city on a hill, to be salt and like to love one another, to love the community that as we want to do. God has done all of this for us and he will be with us in the doing of it. He promises that. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, know how much we have received when we, when we look at you when we see who you are, when we see just how good you are to us, that you have all the power, not some, God, you are power, you are eternal, you are self-sufficient. 
And Lord, in all of these things, we have been reminded that you're also not selfish, that you look at us, a people who, are, who have all sorts of needs, and you meet that need, Lord. God, you do that for people who aren't even walking with you. Lord, they don't even understand each day that you are giving them grace. I pray for us as a church that we would never lose sight of that fact, that we're constantly being given grace by you. And so I pray that there would be a spirit of thankfulness in us. I pray, Lord, there would be also be a going deeper in our understanding of our identity, the way that you have changed us, Lord. I pray that we would be so settled, so rooted in the fact that we are saints. Yes, we sin, but there's grace, Lord, we can turn to you. I pray we'd be so settled in the fact that we are your disciples left here, Lord, to glorify you, to shine a bright light, to be salt, to be a city, to, to be visible to those who so need you, God, and to love and serve those who have already found you in Christ. Father, help us in these things, I pray. And I pray it would start, God, with us always looking at you and constantly being in awe of who you are. God, we pray this because of your precious son, Jesus Christ, who made it possible. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.